Welcome to The Vegan Optimist, a podcast spreading positivity and optimism about the future of veganism. This is episode one with special guest, Dr. Leo Venus. Hey, it's Ryan, and I want to welcome you to The Vegan Optimist podcast a place of learning focused on positive developments in all things vegan. Before I bring on my special guests, I'd love to share some things that have happened since the beginning of this year. For those of you not familiar with Veganuary, it's an amazing charity that inspires people to try a plant-based diet through a 31-day challenge in January. Veganuary has more than doubled its participation every year since it began in 2014, with January 2021 setting a record of more than 560,000 people signing up. And then there's the Super Bowl commercial for Oatly, a plant-based milk company based in Sweden that went viral. Not only did this lead to a whole bunch of people, myself included, having a catchy jingle stuck in their head, it has sparked more interest and discussion about oat milk and other alternatives to cow's milk. And finally, just a couple days ago, Kim Kardashian posted a positive vegan message to her 206 million followers. So we have a long way to go, but there is a reason to be optimistic. And now I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Leo Venus. Uh, So Leo, how about you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. And uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Uh, It's uh, great to see you start this podcast. I think uh, just the title alone is already refreshing. I think uh, the world today, optimism is uh, uh, rare and uh, it's it's, uh, unfortunate because it's so, so important. Uh, And I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic as well. But anyways, just a quick introduction. Uh, Like you said, I'm Dr. Leo Venus. I have my medical degree from uh, the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland in Dublin. And uh, one of my passions is obviously uh, veganism, lifestyle prevention, uh, getting people to think a little bit more about the environment, but also long-term health. Unfortunately, the medical industry is very, in in many ways, very short-sighted, very symptomatic, kind of like a a symptom relief industry more so than a prevention and, and uh, a cure. And, and, you know, that's why a lot of people make the analogy sick care versus healthcare. And so that's what I do now is I spend a lot of time uh, coaching people, helping people improve aspects of their lifestyle and, uh, you know, sharing this, this important message that I'm very passionate about, which is the vegan message. One of those pushy, pushy hippies here. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. Um, so if, if I'm thinking of like a light bulb moment that sparked my journey to veganism, it was, it was very almost random. Like I, I went to a, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Joker. Uh, with yeah, I did, yeah. yeah, Yeah, so I, I just saw it with my uh, family about a year and a half ago. And I, I, I always look up movies after I watch them. And I was just watching this video on YouTube of Joaquin Phoenix, who's like, I went vegan at age three. And he was just talking about that. And then on my recommended list, there was an Earthling Ed video. And for anyone who doesn't know, Earthling Ed's just a really um, well-known vegan advocate. And the video, the reason it was recommended is it said uh, Earthling Ed asking people dressed up as Batman and Joker questions about veganism. And just because I was watching something about Joker and veganism, that was the next video that came up. And then it got me in that loop of, and then it was just that light bulb moment that clicked just randomly. Did you have, oh, wow. did you have kind of like a light bulb moment that happened to uh, happened or 
was it through your medical degree where you started learning more about the health and that's kind of where you started? Yeah, so for me, it was different. I mean, that's, uh, that's really cool. I think, you know, a lot of times we're talking about the dangers and the bad sides, the negative sides of social media, but the fact that you just coincidentally through the Joker and through Batman or the, the movie, the Joker, you actually came across this. So definitely uh, one of these things where you can see, you know, there's, there's really good things about social media as well. Uh, it's certainly been a lot of help for the vegan movement. Mm -hmm. uh, but for myself, it was more of a gradual thing. It was actually an ex-girlfriend a long time ago. I've actually been vegan almost eight years now. So it's uh, creeping up on eight, I think in a month's time or something. So uh, it's, uh, it's been a, a good while. And uh, at that time, I was not, I hadn't even started medical school. I was doing my bachelor's in bioengineering. Mm -hmm. And um, well, really what happened is, uh, you know, the this person that I was starting to date was kind of getting into veganism. Uh, she didn't know a whole lot about it, but we watched a couple of documentaries together. Uh, one of the documentaries was uh, Forks Over Knives. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the classics with uh, uh, Dr. Esselstyn, Colin Campbell, and all the OGs. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's very kind of professional, serious type of documentary. You get a, a nice feeling that it's, uh, this is not just some sort of a, you know, kind of a hippie movement or whatever, not that there's anything wrong with that. But at the time, that's what I needed to see, right? Because I was already in the scientific industry. I was already being taught about research and statistics and confidence intervals and all that boring jazz. And so once I saw the documentary, I was like, wait a second, this, this isn't right. I think this goes against everything I've been taught. Like you need meat for protein and milk for calcium and fish for omega-3s. So I had to see, is this really true? Let me look at the actual research. And the more research I looked up and the more I read about it, the more I just realized, well, hey, actually, there's a lot of good evidence behind this movement. It's not just like live and let live or whatever. It's there's hard science. And as someone who was in the scientific field and someone who identified himself as a scientist, I kind of had to just swallow that, you know, and, and say, well, you know what? I guess I was wrong and my parents were wrong and my siblings were wrong and my friends were wrong and pretty much almost everyone I knew was wrong. You don't really need these things. And the majority of the evidence suggests that you're better off not having these things in your diet. So that's when I went more plant-based. Uh, it was pretty, you know, easy, seamless transition for me, but I would still eat whatever I got served if I was mm -hmm. at a party or with family or whatever. So I guess the closest I would get to an aha moment was with earthlings, which is also funnily enough when you say, uh, Joker and Joaquin Phoenix, he actually yeah. narrates uh, Earthlings. Um, and it's a bit of an older documentary, but everything is still relevant, right? It's yeah. a common excuse people use with, with old documentaries. Oh, it's not like that anymore, but it's, it's pretty much just the same. Uh, but just the, the way that movie's made, it's, it's got, it's, it's very beautifully made and very well narrated. And there's a lot of really nice, uh, kind of deep philosophical points that really illustrates the, the kind of double standard that exists. And, and most of our lives. So that one yeah. was kind of the one where I was like, well, I guess that's it. No more, even when I'm visiting people or whatever, like I'm not taking part of this. And that's when you really become vegan, right? Because there's a lot of misconceptions on what veganism really is. And it's great that there are environmental consequences and health consequences to going vegan that are positive. Uh, but the only, like the definition of being vegan is really to avoid causing, uh, you know, the unnecessary pain for animals right the exploitation of animals that's what veganism really is so that's when i i truly went vegan if you will 
Yeah, that's one of the great things about it is when there's just so many positives to it. And like the movement itself is towards uh, excluding harm or using animals, but in turn, you also get uh, more likely for pandemic prevention, the mm -hmm. health side of it, environment side of it. And that's a, that's a really great thing about the movement and like getting people involved and all that. Um, so speaking of misconceptions, cause uh, you were talking about like thinking of meat, do you need meat for protein and mm -hmm. milk for calcium? And I still think a lot of people believe that to this day. Uh, for what, uh, like as you're, from your experience from being like a medical doctor and a vegan advocate, what would you see the most common myths about veganism that you've come across? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I mean, first one's going to have to be, where'd you get your protein, bro? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a very typical one. Right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, everything from protein to calcium to iron. Uh, well, B12 is, is not really a misconception, but more of an excuse because, yes, we do need to take B12. Uh, but again, it's kind of a double standard being like, well, how can it be good for you if it's you have to supplement? That's not natural. It's like, well, uh, like, do you live your life purely based on what's uh, natural? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a that's a pretty pretty darn big double standard. Uh, so, but yeah, I would say probably the whole protein and calcium and and uh, iron would be the top three, uh, followed by some things like maybe omega threes and zinc. Um, but yeah, I'd say say protein uh yeah protein maybe even calories as well some people think you need to eat like huge amounts to to even survive on a vegan diet but um yeah i think that those would be the the greatest misconceptions and it's again i've i've tried to remove all judgment behind these types of things because it's it only makes sense right that people believe these things because it's it's what we've it's how we've been conditioned from when we were little kids yeah. and uh, all of society is geared in that direction and knowing a little bit about psychology, you get to learn that social pressure is one of the absolute most effective influences on the human psyche, right? So when you have the whole entire society geared towards the social pressure of not being vegan, then like it makes all the sense in the world that, you know, more people aren't, aren't vegan today. So it's a, it's an uphill battle for sure. But like I said, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Very true. And it's, I think a lot of people forget that even be like before they were vegan, they didn't know these things either. Like just three years ago, I thought mm -hmm. that I needed meat uh, for protein and uh, milk for calcium. And yeah, it's just still a very well-believed idea that you need those things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just from what we're taught, like when we grow up and we didn't put the food that was on our plate when we were young and we just mm -hmm. continue putting those foods on our plate because that's all we know pretty much yeah i mean for me it's one of the most frustrating things when i try to advocate for more effective advocacy if that makes sense so a lot of people who are already vegan and i hear things like i don't understand how people can think this way or i don't understand how people can eat animals or i don't understand how people don't change or whatever you know it's like well, it's just as you say, you know, think back. Most of us aren't born vegan. I actually know a few people who are born vegan. But for most of us, we used to do exactly the same things, right? I myself was the biggest meat eater ever. Like it was almost a religion for our family. Every Saturday was barbecue. Sunday was seafood. And, you know, my dad has been doing barbecues for 30 years every week before he went vegan. 
So it's like, you know, I used to do all the same things and I didn't think about it. And I had the same conditioning and the same excuses and the same ego defenses that everyone else has. So it's really important to remember where you come from and uh, be understanding because it's, it's the lack of knowledge that creates all of misunderstandings and all of conflict. If we knew everything about everyone, there would be no conflict. I love that. Yeah, just being open to people's perspectives and the fact that we also had those perspectives, not for some people, not even long ago, but it's easy to forget that when you see just all, for example, environmental harm or what's going on with mm -hmm. the animals, it's easy to forget um, how other people are feeling. And it's really important to do that. It's actually great that we went here because my next question was gonna be, what qualities do you think makes a great activist? Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, uh, I think some of the things we've touched on again, right? Because when it comes to activism, you're essentially talking about behavior change, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's been quoted as being the most difficult thing to do. Changing another person's behavior is very, very difficult. People are very resistant to being told what to do. Uh, this is true of all religions, all cultures, all ages and genders. Like people don't like being forced to do anything, right? Uh, people want to have the autonomy and the, the, the self-control to, to live however they want. Uh, and so I think, you know, the communication skills and the psychology uh, behind behavior change is absolutely going to be the most important thing. Uh, it's not really about evidence. It's not really about science or logic. We have more than enough of that. Throwing logic and science at people doesn't work. Uh, so... One of the top recommendations I ever make for people is, is to read a, a, well, it's a pretty old book now. It's actually, I think, almost 100 years old. But the same principles that governed social interactions and communication and behavior change then still work now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a book. It's a very classic book. You've probably heard of it. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by I Dale Carnegie. I love that book. Yeah. It's very pragmatic, very practical. It gives you steps and advice that you can implement very easily into your life and you'll see your your interactions change like it's it's amazing when you start implementing some principles and you're like wow this really works like the outcomes are totally different uh, than when you're just trying to press through like use the logic throw evidence like make your points it's it's like a it's like a totally different thing right so it's really about learning what kind of things you know, about behavioral psychology, social psychology, what makes people tick, what makes people change their behaviors? How can you communicate things non, uh, you know, non-judgmentally? How can you uh, disagree with someone without creating conflict? Uh, how can you nudge people in the right direction without making it seem like you're telling people what to do? These are the things that are required. Uh, and then a lot of patience and understanding because... <laughs> It's a process, you know, it takes a while. It takes a lot of practice uh, for these things to become natural for you as well, because we have a natural tendency to want to prove our points. We have a natural tendency to, to talk and make ourselves heard. Whereas when it comes to advocacy and behavioral change, a lot of times it's about not talking so much and actually just listening more and finding out where is the other person and understanding what are their beliefs, even if they're wrong or not, it doesn't matter. Like understand who you're talking to and have a, a meaningful connection with that person so that you can slowly but surely get something useful out of that interaction. That's, I, I think that was very well said. And I think that's also an amazing book. Uh, one of the things like on the first page, it goes, 
keep rereading this book because this information is just super useful in like everyday life on uh, just how to communicate with people in just so many different aspects. And mm-hmm. even I've only read it once and I just need to read it again because I, I took so much value from it. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's easy to like just leave what, uh, leave what you read on the page and don't actually like apply it in your life. And it, yeah. I just that book is just well known for a reason. It's just changed yeah, well, so many yeah. lives. I totally agree. And I think that's a good idea because whenever you look at, you know, how our psyches and our subconscious belief systems and our habits and our perspectives work, we are constantly being influenced. And if we don't take control of that influence, we get back the, you know, we'll be influenced back towards the mainstream, towards whatever else is influencing us without our knowing. Right. Yeah. Uh, So if you forget about that kind of stuff and you just, live in the regular society where people aren't good communicators and people aren't understanding people are super judgmental and hateful. You can slowly but surely get conditioned back to that state. Right. So I've, I've actually read the book at least twice. Yeah. I think twice now as well, you know, might read it a third time who knows. Uh, But yeah, I definitely think that's a, that's a good idea. So for people who have already learned about veganism, they're interested but they're a little hesitant. Maybe it's just really intimidating, like a big lifestyle change uh, mm-hmm. or just any sort of factor that's kind of uh, blocking them from going to the next step. What mm-hmm. advice would you give to them? Well, it would definitely not be to, uh, to uh, tell them how much the animals are suffering, how bad a person they are, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> rather to... Uh, yeah, again, you know, it depends what kind of a relationship you have to that person, but really trying to figure out what exactly are their obstacles? How exactly can you help them in this regard? In what ways can you make things easier? Is there any resources they need? Is it just recipes? Is it like, do they actually not know what to make? Uh, are there any fears or anything they're worried about? Really, it's about getting to know that person's situation specifically mm-hmm. because everyone has different obstacles. Everyone has different problems that they're wrestling with in their heads. Uh, so the only way to really have a solution for that person is to really get to know exactly where that person stands and then see if you can, again, nudge them in the right direction. Uh, but in the end of the day, it's, it's the person who has to do the work. There's, you know, it's one of the questions I get is because, you know, now all of my family essentially are, are vegan. And throughout my whole social media time, a lot of the things I get is like, wow, you're so lucky. I wish my family was vegan. Like, how did you do it? How did you make your family go vegan? Uh, And that's like one of these things that you have to get out of your head. You're not making anyone else go vegan. You cannot make anyone go vegan. You have to take that responsibility off your shoulders because the only person who will make them go vegan is themselves. Uh, You can only help them in their journey uh, and perfect or optimize your influence, if you will. And of course, there are some ways that are way more efficient to influence someone else than others but you will never make anyone do anything. I love that. I agree a hundred percent. So uh, I have a couple more questions that I want to leave for the end that are the, the, just to end it off. But before that, I want to do a little lightning round questions uh, just to okay. have a little fun uh, game. And uh, before we start with that, uh, I was wondering if you had a favorite quote you'd like to share uh, with the listeners. Yeah, sure. So I actually don't remember who said this quote, mm-hmm. but whatever, it doesn't really matter. The, 
it's the is the content of the quote is the words the meaning behind the symbols that's what's important whether you, or not you relate to the quote uh, and whether or not you think it's a good quote like that's that's what's important not who said it necessarily but it it goes something and we kind of touched on it be, before uh, during this talk but uh, i think it goes something along the lines of uh, the greatest enemy of mankind or humankind i guess would be a more modern less sexist way of saying it let's say uh, the greatest enemy of humankind uh, is not ignorance, but the illusion of knowledge. And that kind of goes back to this, like, what do you think you know, right? Uh, because people are so set in ways, and a lot of times it's based on no good evidence whatsoever. So the greatest enemy of humankind is not ignorance, but the illusion of knowledge. I That's one of my that. favorites. I love that. Okay, so are you ready for some lightning round questions? All right, let's do it. They called me Lightning Leo for a reason. <laughs> okay, so dog or cat? Dog. Favorite I color? Mean, I grew up with dogs. I, I love <laughs> cats too. Oh, sure, sorry, lightning questions. Okay, next one. Oh, you, you, could, you could say anything after. I might ask fast. Uh, okay, uh, but so I have dog. To fast as well, no? Yeah, favorite color? Uh, green. Favorite animal? Green vegan. <laughs> uh, lion. Favorite fruit? Uh, no. Uh, uh, papaya. Rice or quinoa? Uh, rice. Sweet or sour? Rice. Sour, actually. Yeah. Name three things you love. Name three things I love? Yeah. Um, uh, well, it depends what. I guess uh, animals, nature, and exercise. Right. You just ordered <laughs> your favorite curry. Was it mild, spicy, or extra spicy? It was extremely mild because I'm a wuss. <laughs> Favorite plant milk? Uh, probably soy, you know, soy boy through and through. I agree with that choice. If you can only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, that's a hard one. I mean, nutritionally, it depends. Like, is it like from a practical standpoint? I guess I would go with like... A desert island point kind of thing yeah. and i would go potatoes because potatoes are so easy to to grow and they actually give you a lot of good nutrition uh if it would be for taste i don't know because some things that taste really good you get sick of really quickly you'd want something that you can eat for a long time and i get yeah, super sick of it uh whew, that's a that's a difficult one um and, and speaking you know, it actually works in for the next question because when you're asking healthy or unhealthy so the next question uh -huh. is if you can make one unhealthy food extremely healthy what would you choose which might kind of play in with that well it would definitely be the passion fruit pie my favorite dessert oh i could i could eat that all day i've never tried that that's on my list oh you have to it's uh yeah there's uh, obviously most of the brazilian uh, recipes are non-vegan but you can make it just as delicious vegan uh, obviously most of them use either condensed soy milk and lots of sugar yeah. and stuff like that. So it's not a health food, but oh man, it's so good. <laughs> and it's both sweet and sour because the, the passion fruit is a very sour fruit. Yeah, that sounds good. That's next on my list. So optimism or pessimism? Pessimism, not just optimism. <laughs> of course, optimism. You got to be positive. All right. So Leo, it has been great having you as my first guest. Uh, so why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm probably not going to be as active on social media, but I have Dr. Leo Venus on both Instagram and YouTube. YouTube, I'll probably be doing mostly lives from now on. So 
bringing, talking about articles, bringing evidence to the table, talking about the actual science, giving you value there and then get out there and live your lives, people. Like let's not spend hours and hours on our phones and screens all the time. So it's paradoxically, even though I'm on social media, I recommend we try to reduce our consumption of these uh, different platforms. But yeah. the main ones would be YouTube and Instagram, Dr. Leo Venus for both of them. Great. So I have one last question. Uh, you're on a podcast called The Vegan Optimist. Are you optimistic about the future of veganism? And if yes, why? Absolutely. And I think, uh, again, not, not to be the, the anecdotal person or whatever, but just if you just look around you, everything from, you know, grocery stores to the actual hard research and, and the data on how much veganism has grown in the last while. Like it went from being this like tiny, like the, the fringe of society, extremely weird, like super, super strange hippie people to being almost, almost a bit normal in some places. So it's come a huge way. And, uh, you know, it's only the evidence is there, obviously from the animal point of view, there's no discussing like, not killing animals is better for the animals than breeding them and killing them and causing huge waste of resources and, and increasing the risk of zoonotic pandemics, such as the one we have now with COVID-19 uh, and not to mention all the suffering that's going on. It's way better for the environment. There's also no discussions. Just look at the, all the biggest organizations that do these different investigations and studies on how much greenhouse gas equivalents the, every different industry uses. Animal agriculture is terrible. And then when it comes from the health point of view, every one of the biggest organizations when it comes to nutrition around the world, whether it be the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics or the British Nutrition Foundation or the Dietitians of Canada, they all agree that a 100% plant-based diet can be adequate for every single stage of life and probably is one of the healthiest diets. We can't say for sure that 100% vegan is the healthiest diet, but we can definitely say that at least an almost 100% vegan or a plant-based diet is by far the healthiest whether we're talking 96 or 100 we don't have the science for that but you know we definitely do have the science to say it can be extremely healthy if you do it right and you know that's i think what i always tell to people who aren't you know nutritionists or doctors because a lot of people say well how how do you do you know that it's healthy or whatever right so just you know one of the good ways of saying that is just well dietitians of canada and british nutrition foundation academy of nutrition dietetics the biggest organizations on nutrition around the world, the biggest authorities, if you will, the people who are amalgamating all of the evidence to give us the evidence-based recommendations are all saying that they can be nutritionally adequate and very, very healthy for all stages of life and to decrease some of our biggest killers, such as heart disease, colorectal cancer, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. So that'll be a, a little last tip for people to, to use in a practical time when People are questioning that sort of thing. But remember, don't do it judgmentally. Just say, oh, you know, I'm not an expert, but, you know, I, I've seen that all of the biggest organizations say this and who am I to, to say that they're wrong? And, you know, if, then you're kind of putting the ball in their court and saying, well, do you have any reason to, to think you know any better than the biggest authorities and the biggest organizations on nutrition? If not, then that argument goes down the drain, right? So anyways... Sorry for blabbering on so much. No, it's great. It's great. It's been great having you on. Um, I appreciate you being my first guest and I hope you had a great time. I definitely did, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me.